right, guys, welcome to another episode of Beef's Beef, episode 17. I got another special guest here today. Was a uh, point guard for the 2000, what game, 2000 through 2003. Started out as a walk-on, earned a scholarship uh, his junior year. Uh, with me today, I got Brian Northern. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for, thanks for coming on. So, uh, I have a couple friends that are mutual friends with you and, you know, just asked them to reach out for me and kind of kind of get you on here. Thanks again for coming on. It, mean, it means a lot. Uh, so, <clears throat> what kind of things have you been doing since you since you played here? I know it was 15 years ago now, but what, what kind of things you've been doing? You know, the first couple of years after I left UofL were rocky for me. I was 21 years old. I didn't really have a direction or a plan for my life. So, my first thought was, I got to play basketball. I get kicked yeah. off the University of Louisville, and I shopped myself around a bunch of Division ones, probably about 40. And I sent them emails, we sent handwritten letters, and we made phone calls, myself and a friend of mine. And we just kind of grounded and pounded and just said, you know what, let's put out as many phone calls and reach out to as many schools as we can and let's see who bites. And about four universities contacted me back. EKU with Travis Ford, Ohio State, UNC Charlotte, and Weber State. <clears throat> so basically... If I could have had it my way, I would have loved to have went to Ohio State or even IU. I'd spoke with Davis at one time, but since I got in trouble, the AD wouldn't approve it. So IU washed through. Ohio State said, we got plenty of guards. We're not interested. And then UNC Charlotte said, hey, we'd love to have you. But the year you sit out, you have to pay for yourself. It's seventeen grand. I was like, look, I've walked on. I've collected some debt. I'm not taking any loans. I'm not doing it. I want a scholarship both years. And they said, hey, we'll scholarship you the year you can play. We'd love to have you. Yeah. But you gotta you gotta pay that year that you sit out. So I was like, nope, not doing it. Same thing with EKU. Travis Ford was on board. It sounded like it was gonna work. Pay the year. He's like, look, just take loans. Pay for yourself the year that you sit out. We'll scholarship you the year you could play. Said no. Weber State said we're gonna scholarship you for both. So about two days before I was supposed to drive out to Utah, I was gonna stuff my car at the time full of all my belongings and make that trip to Utah. Yeah. And my dad was dying. My dad had cancer, and he wasn't doing good. And I just couldn't see myself making that drive. And he actually ended up passing about three and a half months later. He ended up passing in December 13, 2003, which was within six, four months of me getting kicked off the team at L. So I made the right decision. But all in all, I ended up at Northern Kentucky University, a D2 school. Um, I kind of figured I'd be a big fish in a small pond. And on the D2 level, I'd be a star. I went out there, uh, did pretty well. Um, I remember in a scrimmage game, we had an inter-squad scrimmage. I had like 40-something points. Yeah. And I knew I had a chance to be all-conference or even the player of the year in the conference. But the ABA started a team here. And they picked up Luke Whitehead and Anthony Epps and Antoine Barber from UK. And I kind of got recruited to come work out for them. You know, they were promising 800 to to $1,000 a week. And I ended up coming out and I made the team. I was actually one of the last guys to, to make the team. I thought they were going to cut me. And what team was that? What was it called? We were called the Kentucky Colonels. In the okay, ABA. it was the – okay, I, I yeah. remember that now. So I played on that the first year they had it in Louisville. Yeah. So I gave up my – I forfeited my senior year, lost my amateur status, and then I played in the NBA, ABA. What's kind of cool is the high school that actually won my – myself and our mutual friend Michael Cooper, we played at. Before they redid the court my sixth grade year, they actually had the old Kentucky Colonels court from back when they were the old Kentucky Colonels, like with all the big players like uh, – I met Dampier. I got to yeah. meet him. I got yeah, to meet I mean, it was it was all those all those players that played here back in the day, back in the '60s and '70s and stuff. We had their old court in our gym. I that's mean, cool. it was painted over, but that's pretty cool though. So, I mean, did you grow up a Louisville fan, or was it just kind of like <clears throat> I grew up in Jeff? It's right there. It's a big name university, or did you grow up? You know what? I feel bad because I didn't fully answer your last question. I'm sorry. Let me skip back to that. So basically, after I did that, I bounced around and played some semi-pro ball. I did the CBA. Yeah. which was the East Kentucky Miners. And then I came back, and I had not finished my degree from the time I left UofL. So I bounced around in a couple of different construction jobs. Um, and I finally went back to UofL in 2008, got my degree, and then I started doing outreach programs, prevention programs, working with youth, started substitute teaching. And then since then, the last five years, I've been teaching middle school math. So I'm coaching AAU, I'm doing individual lessons, and I'm also a middle school math teacher. So that's kind of where I'm at right what now. What school are you at? I'm at Rock Creek Community Academy in Sellersburg, Indiana. Okay, cool. So like I, like I was saying, did you so did you grow up a Louisville fan? I grew you? up a Louisville fan. So my dad was a diehard Louisville fan. My mom was from Indianapolis, could care less about sports. 
and my entire family was diehard U of L. And I remember growing up as a kid, my dad would watch every game and he would yell and cuss at the TV. <laughs> so you got to think when I was growing up, it was like Dewan Wheat and LeBradford Smith, yeah. Everett Sullivan, Greg Miner, and you know uh, Dwayne Morton, Jason Osborne, Dewan Wheat, and those were the guys that I watched and, and really liked. You know Clifford Rozier, Samaki Walker, that that whole era. So you you mentioned Dewan Wheat. Did you when you were a kid? Did you pretend you were him, or did you? Or I did. It? I did pretend. Michael Jordan was my favorite NBA player, but Dewan Wheat was my favorite basketball player. And in middle school, I wore 32 to emulate oh, nice. him. Yeah. And he had that smooth, silky jump shot, and that's who I pretended to be when I would play in the backyard yeah. was Dewan Wheat a lot of uh, times. Dewan Wheat, I mean, I'm a good amount younger than you, but I, I mean, I watched Louisville basketball since the time I was this tall. I mean, just, I, mean I had older brothers, so it was always on sports. So I, I grew up watching Dewan Wheat. It, I was a little after uh, LeBradford and all them, but I've gone back and watched stuff. Dewan Wheat, man, that's my favorite Louisville He's player. He's my favorite Louisville player. And, and interesting, my second favorite UFO player was Peyton Siva. Nice. I, I'm a point guard, so I like guards, and I like guys who play the game the right way, who who lead, and guys who can get the job done. And I was always a big Dewan Wheat fan, but the last guard that I was like, man, I like this guy, was Peyton Siva. Sosa was nice, but I felt like Peyton Siva just was the whole package. Yeah, Siva definitely, you never questioned whether he was going to play hard. Mm -hmm. That was something with him and Russ. Like, could you picture, I mean, you were, uh, to me, you were like that. You were hard-nosed. You always were going hard. Could you picture having to play against him for 40 minutes, Siva and and Russ at the same time? You know what? I would have been more intimidated by Russ because I thought Russ's defense was nasty than Peyton's. It was crazy. He he would take so many chances. He'd be like, what are you doing? And he would end with a steal. I always envied Russ because he didn't fear anything. Yeah. Because people at times would say, I mean, I remember as a walk-on, as a freshman, man, there was games I'd shoot 14, 15 times. And people would be like, man, that's nuts. You know, you don't even play 15 minutes, and you're coming in shooting eight, nine, ten times in a game. So people knew that I was kind of fearless. You know, I would yeah. take a chance. Here's this guy, not on scholarship, comes right in, and I would shoot the ball as if I was a starter playing 30 minutes a game. So I had that confidence. I had that I don't care what coach says. I had that fearless mentality, but Russ was like that times ten. I mean, he would shoot shots that, I mean, hence the name Russ Ridiculous. Yeah, he would just shoot crazy shots and do crazy things, and it happened to work for him. I, that's one thing. I'm. I, it doesn't make sense to me, and maybe you can kind of shed some light on this. How is he not on an NBA roster? I've wrestled with this, and I've had this conversation with a couple of friends. A guy with that type of defense, that type of quickness. Um, he can handle the ball, too. I mean, I mean, he can do a lot. I feel like when Russ is off, he could shoot you out of a game. But when Russ is on, he can keep you in a game. But I feel like he could be a backup somewhere. Exactly. But I think ultimately, he's a shooting guard in a point guard's body. Russ is six foot 165. Yeah. He's not really a facilitator. But you've seen him have 15 assists in the yeah. D League and other leagues. He's passed the ball. But I think really running a team and running an offense and being a facilitator is different than just getting eight or nine assists. But if you look at the point guard now with the Steph Currys, the Russell Westbrook, I know Russell Westbrook get, gets t- uh, triple doubles, but Russell I mean, Westbrook's six foot four, and he's probably the most athletic point guard to ever play in the NBA. Oh, I agree. And Stephen Curry is probably the best prolific shooter to ever play. So it's not really a fair comparison because Russ, to me, is what I call a volume shooter. Yeah. For Russ to get thirty points, he needs twenty five shots. Russ yeah. isn't the type of guy to shoot ten times and get twenty. I points. was referencing more towards the passing aspect as more as a team looking thing. Now, as as when you think back to even Rondo back in the '08, where I know he's Russ isn't like any of these players, but now it's. Almost like how, like we said, how can he not be a backup when he scores? Which is, you got your Kyrie's, you got your your Curry's, you got your Westbrook's, you got things like that. They're not even really looking to pass unless they're completely guarded. You know what I mean? I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And I think sometimes with the NBA, what I've learned from some of my old friends that have played, is once they make their mind up about you, their mind's made. Once a few teams say, look, you're not he's not an NBA player, the other teams will think, well, why did they cut him? There's a reason why three teams cut him. There's a reason why they didn't like him. So what a lot of happens is you'll get labeled as he's not a pro. He's not an NBA guy. And I think somehow Rush just got in that category. Something's happened, and he's just gotten stuck in there. So when you came to Louisville, you say you grew up a, a, Louisville, a Louisville fan. Do you, still go to, do you still go to the games? Do you watch them? I make four or five games a year, and um, I watch 80% of the games. Just sometimes due to my scheduling and yeah. what's going on, I miss some games. But um, I'm still a Louisville fan. Yeah. So you came in under Coach Crum. You said you were a walk-on. You were a walk-on for two years in your junior year. Uh, under Coach Patino, you, you got a scholarship. 
um, and we'll dive into that here in a little bit. You, you said we could we could talk about that. So what kind of explain the differences in – I mean, obviously everyone that is close or has watched the University of Louisville knows there's obviously a difference in attitude between the two people. Uh, anyone that has met Coach Crum knows that he's one of the nicest people you ever meet. Patino, not so much. But kind of name some – or tell some differences between it because you you played in – you went into practice with both of them. Coach Crum, I felt like, was more of a humble spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the type of person would still act like, hey, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not on TV. I'm just a normal guy like me and you. And he treated everyone like they were on an even – and I felt like Coach Patino kind of felt himself a little bit. He had that ego. I remember one time at a camp, <laughs> one of the dads, we were working the camp, and one of the dads kept calling him Rick. He was like, hey, Rick, hey, Rick. And Coach Patino calls him out in front of everybody. And he's like, hey, only my good friends call me Rick. He goes, my name's Coach Patino. I've earned that title, right? He's like, so if you're going to speak to me, you call me Coach Patino. Wow. So that just kind of references, you know. And Coach Patino, he would always toot his own horn. You know, he would say, I've done this or I've done that. And if you ever go back and look up, Ray Allen said part of the reason he didn't come to Kentucky when he was coming out of high school is when he came on his visit, Patino ate with his friends, left him with the players, and he said the whole time Patino talked about himself. I just saw that quote. I think it came out about four or five months ago and it like really blew up because Ray Allen, arguably one of the best shooters of all time, probably second Absolutely. behind Steph. I mean, Steph's going to be the best shooter of all time. He's already almost there. But – I mean, he's in one of my favorite sports movies, He Got Game. So, I mean, I always I always love Ray Allen, one of the silkiest jumpers. And people forget how sneaky athletic he was, too, when he played for the Early Bucks. on. Oh, he, uh, no, no. When he well, played for Milwaukee with, with Cassell and uh, Glenn Robinson and Irving When he Johnson. got drafted, wasn't he a supersonic? Uh, when he got drafted, he was a buck, and then he went to the supersonics, and he okay. actually played with KD for one year. Yeah, he, he, would, he would dunk on you, man. He was yeah. nasty. Yeah, he was, he was nasty. So, what, so, other than... Other than kind of the attitude, like what what was the difference? The intensity of practice was nasty. I remember when Coach Patino first came, and there were rumors. We we knew that that Crum was getting fired. I mean, we won 12 games my freshman year. We were so terrible, man. I couldn't go to the barbershop without people making jokes or talking about how bad we were. And it was just terrible. I just remember being embarrassed. I couldn't give tickets away. As a player, you get four tickets that you're allowed to give away to family or friends. And I would call friends. I would call family members and be like, hey, you want four, You want to come get a couple tickets to the game? And people would be like, no, no thanks. No, I'm good. And as soon as Patino came, I mean, people would call you and beg you for <laughs> tickets. It was so different. It turned so off. we rode commercial planes when Crum was there. So you could, we would fly Delta, and I would, could be sitting by Sally Joe or Johnny Blue, you know. Yeah. And when Coach Patino came, we flew private. You got your whole row. I got the seat and then the seat beside me all to myself. Wow. You know, and it was just different. The intensity of the practice, the language, you know, he, he was so intense, a lot of cussing, so demanding. I mean, guys were throwing up and almost passing out in some of the workouts. And he set the bar high, man, that we were going to live in the gym, we were going to work hard, and we were going to win games. And I think we were excited about that, but we didn't really understand what that entailed and how hard it was going to be. So you – Kind of, I've kind of felt like, yeah, I mean, you said you all could kind of see the writing on the wall with Coach Crum. I mean, or you all did see the writing on the wall with Coach Crum that he was, he was going to, I felt like he kind of got pushed out, to be honest with you. Coach Crum gave more to this university and still did until about six months ago. Uh, gave more to this university than most anybody that's been a part of it. I hated, I, you have to understand, growing up a Louisville fan from the time I can remember anything about basketball to the time I got to L. I idolized and worshipped UofL basketball. Yeah. I lived it. I breathed it. I used to pretend I played for UofL as a middle school kid, high school kid. That was my dream. So getting to play for UofL and having all that come into fruition. And, and, and when you dream something and you and you believe and you want that and then it happens, it's a surreal feeling. Yeah. You feel ultimately blessed. So to hear the things they were saying about Coach Crum, to hear people wanting him fired, to hear what people were saying about him in the media, um, even at the games, I mean, the fans would just say the ter- worst things about him. So when he got fired and when he left, man, it hurt me. Like, I literally remember crying one time, and I remember some of my teammates were taunting me. And they're like, why are you crying? Why are you crying for him? Because I think the team was divided. I think some people was glad he was gone, and some people wanted him to stay. But I think ultimately everybody, from the fans to the players, they didn't want to lose anymore. Yeah. And the program just wasn't going in the right direction. But I hated the way they did it. I thought it was classless. Yeah. I thought it was uh, distasteful. I just I just didn't like it because I felt like here's an iconic man, 
a Hall of Famer. Here's someone who's did all these things for the program. And yet, I mean, if you if you were old enough and you could remember the things they were saying about him on the TV shows and, and the uh, news stations, it was just bad. Uh, yeah, I remember. Because I, I remember thinking, even though, you know, I was pretty young. I mean, when he got fired, I was only 12. So, I mean, I was still pretty young, but I was different than most 12-year-olds. Like, I was buried in sports, Louisville sports, definitely. Like, every time we would lose, it didn't matter if we were, like, like you were talking about your freshman year. Like, my first game, like, I grew up in a not wealthy neighborhood. So my first game I got to go to was actually the year before you came was when we beat North Carolina when they had Joe Forte and Ed Cole and all that. Julius Peppers was on uh, that Julius team. Julius Peppers was on that team. Chris Lang, Jason Capel, who did What the about game. the seven-footer, uh, Brandon uh, Hayward. Hayward? Brandon Hayward. Brandon yeah. Hayward, yeah. And we had, I mean, we had Mabin, Tony Marcus Williams. Marcus had an amazing game. Yeah, in December 23rd, 1999. That's how much that game has stuck out to me. I still remember the date. I got the, I got the tickets for uh, – for my birthday, because mm-hmm. my birthday is five five days before that. It's actually a week before Christmas. So, uh, it, I remember that because I was like, all right, well, you know, maybe because you kind of saw the writing on the wall then. Because we went to, the, I think we went to. You the lost NIT to Creighton day. in yeah, the first round Creighton, of the tournament. Creighton first round, yes. Creighton right. and Creighton. I mean, we know who Creighton is now, but back then, if you lost to Gonzaga or Creighton or Butler we, back then, we it was lost bad. to Gonzaga too. I feel like when they had Blake Step, we lost to Gonzaga. We lost to Creighton, and at that point, Louisville was losing the first round every year. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a, an elite program, and I don't even know if, we, if Louisville was considered an elite program back then because they were in the uh, Metro Conference. But at, they had two national championships. Yeah. They had several All-Americans, and it just wasn't acceptable for our fan base. So Yeah, for sure. So you, you're kind of leaving the Crum era. You're going into the Patino era. You have you kind of the carryovers were, were you and Reese and Luke Ellis Whitehead, Miles, Ellis Luke Miles, Whitehead. Uh, Mac Wilkinson, I think was a, was also on Eric there. Eric Brown, yeah, Eric Brown, Eric Hodge Turner, yeah. There was there was a lot of Hodge Turner is coaching again now, isn't he? Hodge is at George Washington, I believe so. George Washington, I believe, yeah, or Winthrop. He's at either George Washington or Winthrop. I, I he's remember. he's bounced around, but I mean it's good to see. He's not a name you really remember because he's an he's, associate head coach. He's the second head coach. Second coach in command, so he's doing great. Nice, yeah. So, uh, is that by the way? Is that anything? I know you say you coach AU. Is that something maybe you think about getting into college coaching? Or it's trying? so hard to get into, man. Co- being a Division One coach is like a fraternity. Either you get um, adopted into it, someone someone does a favor for a family member, or someone knows you and they want you to get into it, yeah. or you're a former player who gets brought into it. But it's rare that. You just get hired in. It's just rare. Someone knows someone who knows someone who wants to help you. You know, could I coach at an NAI school or do a JUCO or something small? Sure, I could probably get in if I really try. But to be a D1 coach, it's very tough to get in. So when you were at Louisville, I mean, this is probably a softball question because I'm probably – we talked about the game the other day when we were texting. What was your favorite game when you played at Louisville? I have two, and I I can't single it to one. TCU is one of my favorite games because I feel like that was the game that really, for me as a player, solidified that I belonged. I had 25 points against TCU. Um, It was in the Conference USA tournament. The winner played Marquette, and I just couldn't miss. I I missed one shot the whole game. I did miss two free throws, though, but – it's funny, that you, it's funny that you remember that. That's, that shows like how competitive you are. Like, I missed two free throws. It's... I hit six three-pointers. Um, I was six from seven from the three-point line, and I was one for three from the free throw line. And uh, if I would made those two free throws, I would have had 27. And that's what I was mad about after the game. I kept thinking, Brian, you could have had 27. Yeah. But 25 for me as a sophomore, yeah. walk-on, I was never even on scholarship. That to me was like you belong. You know, even though you don't have a scholarship, people can say what they want to say about you. In a D1 game on national TV, you score 25 points. So that was the game for me where I was like, you belong. And what was – so what was the other game? The other game was Ohio State. Ohio State had won the national championship that year with Maurice Claret. He was a freshman, and he was blowing up because he was the best player on the best team. Yeah. So a lot of people probably don't remember him because he never made it to the NFL. But we come in, all the Sports Illustrated writers, all the news are all the news uh, stations and reporters are all there because the night before they had won it. So Columbus is just, you know, booming with all the reporters and here we are, University of Louisville versus Ohio State. They jump out to a 10, 12 point lead. I come in off the bench and if if you go back and I got the tape, I'll have to show it to you. I'm talking three pointers on the fast break, yeah. pulling up. I had I didn't even score in the first half. I had eighteen points all in the second half. And one of the Sports Illustrated writers that year was making a cover 
for Sports Illustrated March Madness edition. Okay. He took one player from every team that was going to make the tournament, threw him on the cover in a collage form. Yeah, fashion. the one they do that now. So yeah. Marquette had Dwayne Wade, Syracuse had Carmelo, Kentucky had Keith Bogans, and for Louisville, it made sense that it was going to be Reese Gaines. But I had that big game. I was the leading scorer. Oh, wow. And I sparked the comeback. He puts me on the cover. So I was the wow. second player in UofL history to make a cover. <clears throat> I know Russ has made it now and Luke and Gorgie and, and Lamar, some other guys. Obviously. Lamar. Yeah. But I, Wes Unsell was the first. Yeah. I was actually the second player in UofL history to make a cover. That's big time. Do you still have that? I still have it. That's awesome. I'll show it to you before you so, leave. So that's, that's crazy that you didn't even mention my favorite game. Because I know that those were bigger games, but the Tennessee game. We got to talk about the Tennessee game. December 20, 2001. Down six points, 36 seconds left. You come, you you dribble it up a little bit, throw it up to Reese. He banks in that deep three. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Brown gets the steal, throws it to you, hit the three. Tied up within, what, 10 seconds? Yes. I remember watching it on TV because the way our house was set up, I was watching in the living room, and my mom was listening to it on the radio. So she knew what happened because we had we had cable or we had satellite, so it was a little bit delayed. So she watches me as I see that we win the game because after that they come down, score another two because we're kind of celebrating, pumping up. They get up two, Reese dribbles it up between five players, hits another three. So it's nine points to two in like. 50. Both teams combined scored eleven points in under forty seconds, and we hit three threes in, in under thirty <laughs> that, seconds. That game was. Still to this day, one of the craziest games. I mean, you got to throw the West Virginia game in there, the Syracuse Several game. thousand people left. The gym was emptying because they're like, oh, Louisville's down six with 30-something seconds. You want to beat traffic, so yeah. people are leaving Freedom Hall. So, obviously, I'm sure they got home or they heard on the radio that we came back. How, how, how mad do you think people were getting in the car? Because, I mean... Are you mad or are you glad they came back? You're probably mad you missed it, but at the same yourself. time... Yeah. yeah, one of my friends that came to the game, and he had called me later and was like, dude, I left the game early, man. Oh He's like, I, he goes, I got in my car and heard you guys won and was like, how? How did they pull that off? Wow. That's, that's kind of funny that even your own friend left and was like, man, at people, least he admitted it to people you. People forget how good Tennessee was. Tennessee had a couple guys that were NBA players. They uh, Vincent, Scott, Vincent Yarbrough was on that team who uh, played Tamar for the Nuggets. Slay. Ron Slay. Ron Slay. I'm Ron sorry. Slay. And then the very next year... They had a guy named C.J. Watson. Remember, C.J. Yeah, Watson, Watson played man. several years in the NBA. I mean, yeah. he played for the Bulls and a couple other teams, but Tennessee's had some really, really tough teams. Yeah, I mean, they they built towards, and then they got Bruce Pearl, and the, the stuff happened there. But, yeah, I mean, they've had some some solid teams. So, in again, I mentioned Reese. I've mentioned Reese a couple of times. What was it like playing alongside him? You know what? Reese, Reese was the type of guy who's like, he's really good, and you know he's good. But you, I, you couldn't tell he was going to be a star. You just knew that, hey, six five point guard, can shoot a little bit, dribble a little bit, pretty quick, pretty strong. He was good at everything, but he wasn't great at anything. Yeah. Good defender, but not great. Good shooter, but not great. Um, good athlete, but not great. Good passer, but not great. But he did everything good, and then he's 6'5". And Patino was the difference for him because when Patino came in, Patino knew, like, we don't have much. So everything had to go through Reese. And a lot of people don't know, Reese's senior year, what we would do is we were, I mean, dude, we won 17, 18 games in a row. We had the longest winning streak in Division One. Yeah. We had won 18, 17 games in a row. We're ranked number two in the country. And we would blow people out. And what Patino would do is take out all the starters except for one. Reese. And basically, Reese was patting his stats because he knew. Because Reese really, when the game was on the line, he scored about 14 points a game. Then the last four minutes or three minutes, he would leave Reese in. So as the other team fouls or whatever, Reese would be in with the second unit and even some of the third unit, and he'd kind of get an extra five, six points a game. And that was, what, Taekwon and Francisco's freshman year? Yes. So we had, you got to think, Marvin Stone, um, Ellis Miles, Luke Whitehead, you had Otis George, Kendall Dartez, you had Bryant Northern, Alhaji Muhammad, you had um, Reese Gaines, Taquan Dean, Francisco Garcia. So we were we were pretty good. Larry O'Bannon, don't yeah. forget about Larry. Larry. Can't forget about Larry. O'Bannon. And you take out all the players and you're putting in like Alhaji Muhammad, Simon Nadenoff, Otis George, Simon and then there's Nadenoff. Reese Gaines. Yeah. Getting you know he would score six or seven points in the last three minutes, and then next thing you know he's averaging twenty. Not taking anything away from Reese, but I kind of knew that the secret talent and the secret sauce was Francisco. And a lot of people don't understand that. Reese got the headlines. You know, he was like player of the year candidate, Naismith candidate. Him and 
uh, Dewan Wagner, I think, was it one year, and uh, Dwayne oh, Wade were the yeah. best players in the conference. Um, but I kind of knew that the glue and the secret sauce of why we were so good was Francisco. People don't remember, after his freshman year, I mean, he had agents calling him. They were like, you can go top 20. He was freshman of the year in the conference. He was um, like second team all conference as a freshman. Yeah. So I mean, he did. He averaged like thirteen as a freshman. Yeah, that's he was big. legit. It was big. for a freshman. That's yeah, big, that's man. Big. Especially in how tough that conference was because I know it was a we conference had Cincy, Marquette, DePaul was good. They had uh, what was Bobby Simmons. Bobby was, Simmons had already left. He had already left. DePaul was on the way down, but uh, Memphis was good. John Calipari was yeah. at Memphis. Uh, Dewan Wagner had came through, who was good, and they had a couple other bigs that were good. But you had Marquette. You had Tom Crane and Dwayne Wade. You had uh, Cincinnati. Bob yeah, Huggins always, was there with yeah, the Cincinnati talent. You had us. I mean, one year, Conference USA, people were saying we could get eight in. We ended yeah. up getting seven. But we had seven teams make the tournament one year. And that's So do you ever talk to Reese anymore? I talk to Reese. Uh, he's recruited a couple kids that I've coached, and I'll call him. He's at EKU now with Dan McKell. And I'll be like, Reese, you need to recruit this kid. I was trying to tell him recently that Sean East at New Albany is a diamond in the rough. you got to recruit this kid. And I'll text him or call him. And Reese has always been good. He's never big time me. You know, if I call him, he answers my phone call. And we weren't like best friends or nothing in college, but we were always cool, you yeah. know, and we've remained that way. So you talked about him. I'm guessing you've gotten a chance to watch Romeo play. I've seen Romeo play three times this year already, his senior year. And then as a junior, I saw him play twice. I still need to go see him play in person, but I've watched him play on TV. And the videos I see, I mean, the kid is so smooth, man. I tell you what, here's the interesting thing about Romeo. If you watch a YouTube video of Romeo, you're not going to get off the video and be like, oh, my gosh. Because if you watch John Wall or certain players, if you look at their high school highlight tape, oh, yeah. you'll be like, oh, my gosh. When you watch Romeo's, you're kind of just like, yeah, okay. But he's efficient. He's 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan. He shoots the ball pretty decent. I don't think he's the amazing shooter that everyone says he is because he's shooting like 30, 30% or less from the high school three-point line. Yeah. But I think – Ultimately, he's going to be a first-round pick. I think he has the wingspan. He has the jumping ability. He's a good shot blocker. He can score the ball. I mean, the guy's put up 40 like seven or eight times this year already. Yeah. So he's got he's got all the tools. So do you – I know uh, when Q was coming out of high school for Ballard, and, and a lot of people mentioned it with – I'm not putting Q and Romeo on the same level by any means, but their attitudes are kind of the same where they don't really show any emotion. Do you think that could maybe hinder him at the next level or maybe going to the level after that? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm an emotional athlete. Yeah. I'm a passionate athlete. I'm a passionate human being. I like emotion. I want to see that you're invested. I want to see that you care. I don't mind if you hit a three and you point to the sky or beat your chest or you dunk and you scream. Like, I like some of that. I like guys who are vocal. You miss a defensive assignment, I want my leader to say, rotate or get over or blocks out. And I feel like sometimes that it's it's a it's a gift and a curse. Yeah. Because it's a gift that you can stay so even kill and that you can be so focused and that you can control yourself. That is a gift. But I also wonder if people look at him sometimes and say, because people have said, I don't know if he's playing hard. I don't know if he's invested. I don't know if he's invested. I don't yeah. know if he cares. So I think it's a gift and a curse. But I think ultimately if you're a team and you're trying to get to the playoffs and you think, hey, this guy can be good in two or three years, are you concerned with People would probably rather him conduct himself the way he's conducting himself because yeah. he's a great young man than versus being wild and too emotional. That's, yeah, that's so I think at the end of the day, it is what it is. Um, I wouldn't. I, I would probably like to see it sometimes for him to, to show emotion. Yeah, and like you said, it's not punching somebody or something like that. Just no. like you said, beat your chest sometimes. Make a little bit of noise when you dump the ball on somebody. Do yeah. do something like that because I mean I've coached a little bit, not anything big time, but. It, it, it riles your team up. It's not just helping you. It's helping your team at the same time. It helps the crowd. It, it gets everything in it, and it shows that you're emotionally invested. Danny Ainge once said they were uh, drafting Marcus Smart when he came out of Oklahoma State, and they were like, are you concerned with his attitude and his behavior? And he had had some issues. He had pushed yeah. a fan one time, yeah. and there was some other stuff. And he said, you know what? I'd rather guy be too emotional or really hype and we have to draw him back than a guy who shows no emotion. That's, that's so, and that's from Danny Ainge. And, you, you know, people consider him one of the best GMs in the game. I mean, he's arguably one of the best ones of all time, not just in I the mean, game. He's, he's put together an amazing team um, with Boston. So, when you when you were at Louisville, because I, I, I'm going to preface this with something else. We were just talking about Reese. Have you heard uh, from 
when Dwayne Wade was coming out of coming out of college, I think he even said it a couple years into the NBA. He said the best player he ever played against was Reese Gaines. He said in college the best player he played against was Reese Gaines. Reese was a superstar in college. Oh, he was. And he I, played the point guard. He played the shooting guard. He averaged twenty points a game. I think he led us in assists. Reese was a big deal when Reese got drafted, fifteenth pick. Orlando. We were at um, tailgaters, which I don't even think is open anymore. We went as a team. And we were watching the draft, and it got to, like, ninth pick. And Coach Patino was like, watch this. Reese is going to get drafted. And it got ninth, tenth pick, and Reese didn't get drafted. Then the twelfth pick came, and it was the Supersonics. And Coach was like, I got a feeling Reese is – because Reese was supposed to be top ten. Yeah. People don't realize that. He was supposed to be top ten. Yeah, well, that length and his ability, yeah. And Luke Rittenauer got drafted. And yeah. Coach was like, what? What is going on? So, thirteenth pick went by, fourteenth pick went by, and Coach was like, something's wrong. Reese should have already went – Reese goes 15th pick to Orlando Magic with Doc Rivers. Tracy McGrady was there. And most people would be ecstatic to go 15th pick. You would think, man, that's great. He went 15th. Coach was like, I don't know what, what happened. He slipped in the draft. So if people could remember truly how good Reese was, he got drafted over Bogans. Yeah. I mean, Keith Bogans, who's played 12, 13 years in the NBA, went after Reese Gaines. I mean, that shows you how big of a deal Reese was. But Reese slipped in the draft and went 15th pick. He was supposed to go anywhere from 8 to 12. Yeah. So. I feel like, didn't Bogans get drafted by Orlando too? He, they played, their, as their rookie year, they were on the same team. And Bogans was playing more minutes than Reese. Reese yeah. wasn't even getting in. He was on the injured list. Because that, that was also with uh, Grant, Grant Hill joined that team too, I feel like. That was the one of the years that Grant Hill got there. And that was supposed to be a super team with Grant Hill and Trace McGrady. He gave me and Ellis Miles tickets our, our – uh, that his rookie year, and we went up, and he didn't even get to play. He was in street clothes. But I remember they had Tracy McGrady, Shaman Williams, Keith Bogans. Um, who else did they have? Did you guys go up to Indy, I guess? We went up to Indy. Yeah. And we went out to eat um, before the game. We went out to the mall. We went to the Circle Center Mall oh, yeah. and walked around the mall. <laughs> and uh, Reese bought our lunch. I mean, we ate, you know, at the food court. But he bought our lunch, and um, – we were making jokes because he was like, look, I'm still shopping at Dillard's and the guys are making fun of me because I'm wearing off-the-rack suits. He's like, I'm wearing six, $700 suits. He's like, and these guys are making fun of me. He goes, but they're multi-millionaires. They've been in the league. And they're like, dude, get your suits custom-made. And he was like, you know, when I get a little more money, I'll get the custom-made suits right now. Yeah. He's like, I'm just going to shop off the rack. I mean, it's kind of smart. But so with that, who, who would you say when you were at UofL was the best player you played against? The best player I played against, hands down, was Dwayne Wade. Um, Dewan Wagner was pretty good, man. But Dwayne Wade was just – I knew he was going to be good, but I would have never thought he'd be a top 20, top 30 all-time player, which I yeah. think he ranks somewhere in there in the NBA. But he just had this – when you're that quick and you're 6'3", 210 pounds, it's rare. He had the kind of quickness that like a 5'9", 160-pound guard would have. Yeah. But he was 6'4", 210, and he had that type of quickness. He could shoot the mid-range shot. He was strong, and he could jump. But I just can't really remember anybody else pound for pound that could just change. We beat him once. In, my, in the four or five times we played Marquette, we got one win there yeah, at Marquette. Marquette. Yeah. And Reese hit some crazy shot. Yeah, he hits a three like six feet off the line. They, I mean, they not just him. They Diener. also had Diener, and they also had a uh, big, big dude. What was it? They played for the Knicks for a while. Uh, big shooter. Oh, yeah, yeah, Steve Novak. Steve Novak. Yeah, they had Novak, too. And a lot of people forget that they had Novak on that team. People forget that Diener played in the NBA for like seven or eight years. Yeah. I mean, Travis Diener played in the NBA. 5'11 guard. He was solid. He was. So, would you say Wade's probably the best player you've ever played against, or would you play against somebody? I played player? on the same AAU team as Zach Randolph. See, a lot of people oh, don't nice. know that. We were roommates, and we played on the same AAU team, Speech Gym Rats, out of Indianapolis. And he was pretty good, but... I mean, let's be honest. He's not better than Dwayne Wade. Yeah. But, yeah, Dwayne Wade is hands down the best player I've played against. I've played against Karam Butler. I've played against uh, Juan Dixon, Steve Blake. Um, trying to think. Tayshawn Prince was pretty darn good. Keith Bogans. Um, I, I went, one time I made a list. I was just bored. And I was like, how many guys have I played with or against that played in the NBA? And it was like 106 guys. Wow. So I was like, man, I was like, I've played with or against 106 pros, whether it was pickup, open gym, Division One, or AAU. And, yeah, I would have to say that Dwayne Wade's the top of that list. And a couple a couple weeks ago, I actually did my favorite. I do on this podcast, I do top fives, like top five favorites just to try to get people engaged. And until three years ago, 
Juan Dixon was my favorite college but non-Louisville player. Really? I loved Juan Dixon's game at Maryland, man. He was oh, so man. smooth. I'm going to one-up you on that, man. I, I was an Allen Iverson fan. Well, see, I was that was a little bit before me. So, I mean, I remember him when he got to Philly, but... What do you... Do you remember Jay Will from Duke? I do. His name... It was Jason Williams and he changed his yeah. name. Dude, that dude... It's weird because he's one year older than me. So I was in college playing, but, but yet I was a fan of him. So I was like, should I be a fan of this guy? Yeah. Or, but he was just special, man. So I have my favorite players, too. So I, you want to you know who took over Juan Dixon, though? Who took over Juan? Buddy Heald from Oklahoma. He's fun, though. He was fun. I loved watching Buddy Heald. Like, hey, you could turn Oklahoma games all. I would watch it all the time. It was Buddy So Heald. do you like the Trey Young guy? I do like Trey Young. Trey Young is nice, man. He takes... Yeah, man, he, think about how many teams missed on him to take, like, Kentucky. Kentucky, quite a green's not better than Trey Young. Hold on, so what was Trey Young ranked coming out of high school? He was in the 20s. Okay, so he was, was he McDonald's? Uh, I think he was a McDonald's American. Okay. McDonald's American. So, I mean, he was he was a very highly rated recruit. So, but uh, Trayvon Duvall at Duke, they took him over Trey Young. I'm not a fan of him. He doesn't do it for me. He's not a Duke guard. You think a Duke guard, you think of someone like a Jay Williams, or you think of someone that... He doesn't impress me. I'll tell you what, no one in that Kentucky team this year impresses me. When I watch them play, it's nothing like last year when they had Fox and Monk. Oh, like, yeah. last year I'd watch Fox and Monk and Bam and be like, okay, these guys can go. I like these guys. And I'm not a Kentucky fan, but every once in a while I'll like a player and I'll mm-hmm. watch them. And a lot of people don't understand that. I don't root for Kentucky, but I appreciate some of their talent. Like, yeah. I liked watching Devin Booker and Jamal Murray. I liked watching Anthony Davis and Kid Gilchrist. And last year, I really enjoyed Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox. This year, when I watched them, I'm just like, change the channel. I'm bored. It, I'm it, bored it, with watching them. And people think when I say that, because I, I don't like Kentucky at all. But like, I'm like you. I can appreciate it. I'm the same way. I'm like, this is, it's like watching a Big Ten game. That's I don't boring. even want to watch this. Like there's, and then they come out and beat us by 30. It didn't make sense. They play the best game they play all season. That was hard to watch. It was very hard to watch. So, it, it's 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 tough. But so you played in the CBA and the ABA, like you said, for a while, and um, you played for two of the most well-known coaches in college. But was there was there a big difference? Was it easier going into that professional rank because you had already played under Patino, who kind of ran like a a pro a pro style with the, how in in like beating into you that you're going to get in shape, you're going to work hard and all that stuff? Two things. First of all, I played for one of the best high school coaches in the state of Indiana history, the winningest coach in the 90s. His name was Mike Broughton. He had uh, a state championship in 93, a Final Four in 92, a Final Four in 95, a Final Four in 2000, like four or five um, Indiana All-Stars, a McDonald's All-American, and Mr. Basketball. That guy was brilliant. He, he taught me things and groomed me to where I was ready for a college-level atmosphere. Coach Patino, the conditioning, I, I knew no one could ever put me through a conditioning regiment that I could do. Yeah. I felt like you could leave that and go into the military and be fine. So when I did the eight, when I was actually in the CBA, I, I led all the drills. I, I, I was the team captain. I did all the stretching. And when we did our conditioning before the CBA, we did our training camp for two weeks I led everything. So when we would do, like, the coach would say, all right, we're going to do a ladder. you got to do 11 up and downs or 20 up and downs. And he'd be like, Northern, lead us. And I, I, I was just in that good of shape. And even though I struggled some, it was nothing like the way other guys struggled. Yeah. And I would just tell guys, there's nothing that we're going to do that's going to put my body in any worse shape than it was when I was at UofL. I just felt like I could go through anything. I felt like I could go through boot camp and come out on top. <laughs> that's crazy to It hear, was man. that intense. It yeah. was literally that intense. So – uh, I brought up a story to you when we were talking about this because, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that I sent you all the questions and everything was good. And I told you that I'd heard a story from Taekwondo Dean, and you actually told me that it was actually wrong. He said that he was riding with you to practice, and Patino had told you that if you were late again, you were off the team. So you wrecked your car so that you weren't late. So you clear it up, and then I, I, I want to hear what actually happened. And then give the comparison that you said, too. Well, well, first of all, Taquan Dean and Francisco Garcia were my roommates. I was a junior, and they were freshmen. And I was like their big brother slash their dad. And they would make me so mad because they would trash the apartment. <laughs> they would leave milk in the fridge for so long it would spoil and become thick. And I would have to throw it away and then yell at them. And they wouldn't vacuum. They would leave clothes all over the place. And I just those dudes would wear me out. Um, but they would always borrow my car. They would want to go to the mall, and I'd let them borrow my car, and I'd just say put gas in it. But... Um, no, me and Toquan never rode together, and I never wrecked my car on purpose. What happened one time is we were doing two-a-days, and I was living in Indiana as a walk-on. I wasn't living on campus with the guys. Yeah. So I would literally go home, go to sleep, 
for a couple hours, set an alarm, and try to rush back to practice. You'd usually do like a 10 to noon, and then you come back from a 4 to 6. Yeah. Well, man, I wasn't late necessarily. I was. I got there four minutes before practice started, but in Coach Patino's eyes, that was late. late. Yeah. You had to show up like 15, 20 minutes early. They wouldn't even let me in the gym. They had someone waiting for me. And he said, ah, you've cut it too close. Go ahead and go home. So in my head, I'm like, go home? Sure, I don't have to practice. Okay, I'll go home. They call me that night. Report to the gym at 6 a.m. for your penalty. Oh, I get to the gym, and they said, you're going to run um, for 30 minutes straight. You're going to run for 10 minutes. You're going to jog for 10 and then run for 10. So basically, when it was said and done, I ran about six miles. Then I had an 8 a.m. individual workout. It's a 40-minute workout intense where you take four players and you do all these intense drills. And then I had classes. Then I had practice at 3 so I did that for three days in a row. 6 a.m. run six miles. It was supposed to be for a week. The oh, wow. third day I had shin splints so bad I couldn't walk. Our trainer, Fred Hina, was icing my shins down. And I was like, I had to miss practice, dude. He had ran me so hard. Think about it. <laughs> Man. Six miles of running at 6 a.m. Um, the 40-minute individual workout and then a three-hour practice in the evening. My body was shutting down. I couldn't do it. And... On the second or third day that I had it, I was, once again, living in Indiana. I had to drive from Indiana to practice, and I was on the bridge with, like, six or seven minutes to get to the to the gym. Oh, man. And I was like, man, I'm not going to make it. What could I do? And I told the guys one time in confession, I was like, look, guys, I said, one time I was going to be late, and they told me, if you're ever late again, you're off the team. And I thought, well, I can't be late, and the only way to beat it is maybe I should just wreck my car into a telephone pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, so I would have an excuse and be like, hey, coach, I wrecked my car. I couldn't get there on time. Yeah. And I literally got there at like 5.59 a.m. I'm like running in, and it's like 6. Gary to turn 6.01, and I'm like running in to where the treadmills are. And I'm like, Coach Ganong, I'm here, I'm here, because Coach Ganong spearheaded the penalties at 6 a.m. Coach P yeah. wasn't getting up and being there. So I run in there, and he's looking at his clock. It's like 6.01, and he's just like, get on the treadmill. And I was just like, Phew. All right, I dodged a bullet. But no, if Taquan told that story, and I'll, I'm going to run into Taquan at some point in time. We weren't in the car together, and no, I did not wreck my car. I told him that I contemplated it because I was trying to figure out how in the world am I going to get out of trouble for being late. You see, that sucks because that was a good story, but still, that's still good. So I want to I want to hear a story that no one's heard that is, I mean, even, I man, I could sit here and listen for forever. I want to hear a couple stories that no that fans don't get to hear, like, a funny one and then... Uh, I got a great one. The very first time we went to Kentucky, okay. after Patino took the job, they had the worst signs there ever. Talking about his wife, saying, we never liked your wife, and they were just calling him every name in the book and taunting us, and they beat us by 20. I mean, Tayshawn Prince and all that. They were loaded. Gerald Fitz, Cliff Hawkins, uh, Eric Daniels, uh, Chuck Hayes, Keith Bogans. So they beat us by 20 at Kentucky. So we don't fly to Lexington. You just drive. Yeah. You know. So we're driving our bus back, and the coach Mick Cronin, who's now at Cincinnati, Cincinnati, falls asleep on the bus. Coach P's watching film on this little handheld little DVD player, and Mick's sitting across from him. And Mick falls asleep. He punches him in the stomach, and he starts <laughs> cussing him out. And he goes, "How dare you fall asleep? We just got our butts kicked." And he didn't use the word butt. Yeah. He's like, "We just got da 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 kicked, and you're falling asleep." And he, Coach P's basically telling him, "He's like, I'll beat you. I'll." Kick your butt. Don't yeah. you ever do that again. <laughs> and we're all sitting there like, oh, my gosh. Like, he just talked to his assistant coach like that. He yeah. just punched him in the stomach. He gut punched him and woke so him up. So it wasn't just like a left tap. It was a hard punch. It was somewhere in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> it was somewhere in the middle. But, yeah, I mean, you could tell that story. And people would be like, man, that's that's it's kind of crazy. You know, it's yeah. funny that stuff like that happened. For sure. You got you got any more? Or is, that, or is that one of your best ones, you think? Um... <laughs> I got a good one. So, um, Simon Nadenoff had made Coach mad one time. And Coach was just like, I don't even want him in practice. Put him in a sweatsuit. When wrestlers are trying to make weight, they yeah. wear these sweatsuits. It's like a plastic suit that makes them sweat and help yeah. lose weight. He made Simon Nadenoff get in one and run like two or three miles on the track. Oh, my gosh. Now, to his, it, it was basketball season, so you know it's, it's not hot outside. Yeah. So, it's you know probably 45, 50 degrees outside. But he made Simon. Simon couldn't even practice for like two days. He just went out on the track and ran in his sweatsuit. Oh my god! I ultimately think Coach was trying to run him off. The coach, just, Coach wanted him to quit. 
And I think it was his way of like, maybe I'll run him so much he just quits. And I remember just, he would just, Simon would do something wrong and he'd be like, send him to the track. And Coach Grinnell would just take him out to the track and make him run. He wouldn't even be in the gym with us while we practiced. And it was just like, I, I, we felt bad for Simon. So, um, you were talking about, we, when we were talking a little bit ahead of time, we were, I was, you know, going over some stuff with you. You said that, you know, you started out as a walk-on under Coach Crumb and then under Patino, and he gave you a scholarship, but you almost felt like he didn't want to give you the scholarship. I was told by one of the assistant coaches that Tom Jurich made him give me a scholarship. Um, Coach Patino was doing a radio show or a talk show at Jillian's. He had the Patino show, and he had me on the show one time, and he allowed callers to call in. A lot of people don't realize I was averaging about eight points a game as a sophomore walk-on, which yeah. is respectable. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's not amazing numbers, but, you know, I'm, I'm a 5'11", six-foot guard, averaging eight points a game. Sometimes I started, sometimes I came off the bench, and uh, one of the fans called in and said, when are you going to give Northern a scholarship? Don't you think he deserves it? And Patino would joke and be like, well, people don't know that Bryant Northern's rich. His dad's a doctor, and they don't need any money. And he would make jokes like that just to avoid the topic. But um, Carlos Hurt got kicked off the team, and there was a scholarship open. And I had a feeling one of the assistant coaches was like, that could be yours. You might get this scholarship. And, I, you know, I was being a little cocky at the time. I was like, man, I earn it. He needs to give me a scholarship. I started 10 games in a row. I've helped win games for this school. I've had 20-point games. You know, I've had some big games against big teams. I had 17 against Marquette, 14 against DePaul. I had uh, 21 against South Florida. Um, I had some I had some big games for U of L. Yeah. As a sophomore, so he calls me in his office and I'm sitting down and I'm just ready for him to offer me this scholarship. He looks at me and he says, "You know, you really like to shoot a lot. And you really like to score a lot. And I think in your head, you feel like that you you could be this star, that you could be this like main player." He goes, "Well, I got news for you. You're never going to be a star on this level." He goes, "You're you're not going to be uh, all conference player. You're not going to be all American." He goes, if you go small D1, you could probably be all conference. He goes, if you go to like Moorhead State or Murray or somewhere like that, you could probably be all conference. He goes, but not on this level. He goes, and if that's where you want to be, if you want to be a guy who comes out and averages 15 points a game, he goes, you need to transfer. And I was like, no, coach, I want to stay at UofL. And he's like, well, I need a point guard. He goes, you shoot the ball a lot, and I want you to understand what I want from a point guard. And if you can't accept this role, then you need to transfer. And I was like, no, coach, I want to play for UofL. He goes, okay, well, with that being said, he's like, you know, Carlos is gone off the team. We got a scholarship left, and it's yours if you want it. Well, at that point, he had kind of killed some of my joy. And yeah. I was like, all right, Coach. I was like, you know, I want the scholarship. Thanks. And I kind of walked out of the meeting happy and kind of sad at the same time because I'm yeah. like, Coach, did you really want me to say yeah? Like, what did you want me to say? But I had the scholarship. I called my family. And I was like, guess what, guys? I'm on scholarship. And ultimately, that was my goal. I, I was always searching for validation. I was hoping yeah. that some game – or some moment or something would make me feel validated. And that was another moment. You know, I talked to you about the TCU yeah. game where I was like, you know, I scored 25 points. I, you know, I, I belong. And when I got that scholarship, that, that validated another me. thing that kind of made you feel like you belong. So right. with, this, with the stuff in the – with the past couple of years, I mean, do you, are you, do you talk to any of the players that are on the team now? Like, are you in contact with any of the players that are on the team me now? And, my son actually plays AAU for Ellis Miles. Okay. Me and Ellis Miles have stayed close the whole time. And me and Ellis, you know, we've had an up-and-down friendship – and if you know Ellis, you know Ellis is a little rough around the edges. But the one thing I can always say about Ellis, he never treated me different after I got kicked off the team. He never big time me. He never acted like he was too good for me. We always stayed in contact. We always stayed close. And I would say definitely he's the main guy that I've kept a bond with. Uh, me and Taquan were cool for a little bit afterwards. Prelo Davis and I stayed friends. Simon Nadenoff. Um, me and Luke Whitehead. Um, I've stayed decently close, and then I said I've spoke with Reese here and there, but me and Ellis have always kind of hung out and did stuff, let our kids hang out, go to movies with our kids. We've kind of had that bond, and now my, he's coaching my 14-year-old son. That's awesome. So that's pretty cool, and I, I would say that he's been the guy that I've probably been the closest with. So what about now? Do you talk to any of the players that are on the team like now? In the I, don't have, I don't have any relationship with any of the players. The last players that I had any word of a friendship with was Siva, Russ, and I even got to work with Kyle Keurig. Mark Lieberman was working with him when uh, he was at Floyd Central, and I got to help him. And uh, me and Russ had became, I wouldn't say friends, acquaintances. We yeah. could speak and, and uh, hang out a little bit, but that's really about it. I don't have a relationship with any of these guys on the team at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, we were talking about it. It's, this team is so up and down, and it kind of it feels like to me it's 
I mean, it's just a whirlwind. You you go August and you think you're gonna have your head coach around, and then September comes around mm-hmm. and this hundred thousand dollar stuff comes out. You lose one of your best players on the team with Brian Bowen, who just I don't know if you saw went to South Carolina yesterday. Yeah, I saw that on the news that he went to South Carolina. If he gets to play, it's gonna make me even more sick because it's like. You got rid of a guy, and now if he's going to go to South Carolina, be eligible, why don't we just keep him in the first place? I think we couldn't keep him for two reasons. If he does well, you're just going to hear so much flack, and you don't want to tempt the NCAA to hurt you more. Because even though he got cleared, it's kind of one of those things where it's the scarlet letter. Where now he has the scarlet letter. Now everyone sees him as, oh, he took money. Oh, they cheated. And you, you're keeping this player now. And I'm sure it would have felt good because the guy's a McDonald's All-American. He probably yeah. could have helped us. But now every team is going to be like, well, here's your player who got paid. Oh, Brian Bone scores 20 points. Well, you paid him. You cheated to get him. Yeah. So I felt like the school had to part ways with him. Because at some point in time, the NCAA is going to make a decision what they're going to do with us. And I think the fact that the guy that they're saying helped blow this up, and his, you know, whether he took the money or not or whatever they can prove – for him to be there, I think, puts Louisville in a bad predicament. So, um, so do you you think anything is going to come of – I mean, I know we've appealed from the Katina Powell stuff. Do you think anything's going to come of that? Do you think I think something's going to happen. I think at the end of the day, you just can't you – can't, you can't keep putting the program in that type of situation and there's no consequences. Do I want to see it happen? Of course not. I'm still a Louisville fan. I'm still a Louisville alumni. And the program's done a lot for me, and I've loved the program for a long time, whether I can play or not or whether Patino's there or not. But I think ultimately, if this was going on at Kentucky, what would we be saying? If this was yeah. going on at Duke? So as Louisville fans, it's just like someone talking about your family, and you want to take up for them. Even though they're wrong, you want to say, well, it's not that bad, or give them another chance, or come on, man, and, you know, back off. But if this was Duke or if this was North Carolina or if this was Kentucky, we would be saying take the banners down or yeah. make him ineligible or that's not right. So we have to understand that at the end of the day, what's what's right, what's right, and what's fair is what's fair, and there's going to be some consequences. So when when uh, all this stuff went down, I mean, what were your feelings? Because you said you felt like Jurich was kind of the one that kind of pushed for you to get the scholarship. How did you feel about them kind of pushing Jurich out? Ultimately, man, I really didn't want to see Jurich go. I, I like Jurich. Yeah. I, I think Jurich is a good dude. And here's the thing I really liked about George. I ran into George probably about 2008, 2009, which was about six years after I got dismissed from the team. And we saw each other, and we were like 15 feet away from each other. And I knew who George was, but there was a part of me that was like, does he remember you? Is he even going to speak to you? And we got about five or six feet away from each other, and he spoke first. And he said, Brian, how are you doing? And I thought he was going to make me speak first or he wasn't going to speak at all. And the fact that he said my name and he spoke to me first – uh, it just solidified and reiterated the fact that I thought he was a good dude. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I like George. I've always liked George. So I hated to see him go. I thought he was the best AD in the business. Uh, I wonder if he'll, you know, get involved with another program. But I really felt like the University of Louisville still needed him. Yeah. And I was hoping that we could have found a way to keep him. And once again, it is what it is. But it's, yeah. it's tough because there's a lot of people that are like, well, this stuff, all this stuff happened under his watch, but then they also forget about all the good things that he did. I mean, think about the women's basketball team, we were just talking about that after their big win tonight over Notre Dame. You got the football team. I mean, he hired John L. Smith. He hired Bobby Petrino. He he got Charlie Strong. He got all those guys. I know he hired Steve Crackthorpe. We have a baseball team now that is a perennial. I'm even going to look bigger than his hires. He has put the money into yeah. those other programs that's allowed our soccer facilities and our track facilities and our softball facilities. And to me – that's just as big as a hire because ultimately if you hire a good guy, he's gonna do well. Yeah. So I can only give coach or I can only give Tom Jurich so much credit for the girls' basketball team. But we now the girls team used to play in the sack yeah. that holds what, eight hundred, six hundred people? Yeah. Now they're playing at Freedom Hall. You know, our facilities have improved, you know, and to me ultimately that's what makes him so viable. Yeah, he can get a he can bring in a good hire, but I feel like with the right money and the right team and the right conference, a lot of people can make the right hire. But I felt like he was pushing for our, our non-Big 3 sports yeah. to, to upgrade those facilities. But at one time, you had to think baseball was, was doing well. Soccer was doing well. You know, basketball is doing well. Football is doing well. And those are, all, like you said, all people that George hired. Yeah. So 
I thought he was the best AD in the business, and I think it's going to hurt the program that, that he's gone. I think I think it will. I do think Tyree has his mind in the right place. I do, but it's that's that's tough. That's a tough act to follow. Mm-hmm. It's some big shoes to fill, and I mean he doesn't have experience. But I mean I think at the end of the day I think we keep him. I do think that Postal's gone. The the mm-hmm. president. I do think Postal's gone. I don't. I, I honestly wish we would go after Junior Bridgman. So I'm sure you've heard that name being playing there and have known the successful businessman that he is and what he could do for the university. I don't know if he's interested, but for me, that would be someone I feel like we should go in the direction of with our president. I mean, Love University has been very successful. Junior Bridgman is a great guy. I've met him several times, and his son was the same age as me. We stayed in freshman dorm together at Unitas, and they just come from a great family. Very smart businessman, super successful. I would say you have to give him a shot. You have to give him a trial. Worst case scenario, two or three years, you move on and you go somewhere else. But he makes the most sense. Yeah. You know, he's invested. He's a Louisville guy. His son went to L. I mean, why not try him? You know? For sure. So, I got one more question for you, and I think it's going to I think it's gonna get a little bit of a laugh for you. It was a question that was actually given to me by one of my buddies. So, I have to ask, you know, I asked who's the best player. Who is the best player you played with in the church league? Best player I played with in, in the, the church, church league? Best player you played with in the church league. I was, I was asked this by one of my friends because... If you said against, I could instantly think of it. If you say with, I'm not sure because there's been a few guys I played with that were pretty good, and people complained that our team was stacked. Um, I'm not sure. I played in an East Side Church League one time and scored almost 70 points in a game. And one, of the guys, one of the guys goes, you, you shouldn't be playing in this league. And I said, why? I go to church here. Yeah. I can't help it that I'm good. I go to church here. But... um. I'm not sure, but I'll tell you this what. The best player I played against in the church league was Doug Cook. There was a guy named Doug Cook who averaged about 30 points per game in my last church league, and he was really good. But in terms of my teammates who's the best I played with, I'm not sure. That's hard. I'll give, I'll give you the – I, I know who you're trying to bait me to say. You're try- I'm not trying to bait you to say anything. <laughs> he asked me to ask that question because he wanted to see what you would say. I'm trying to be honest, and I don't want to just say his name to say his name, but I'm really trying to think who I played with. Would you, I actually would you remember, at least put him up there? Yeah. I, I think – it's easier for me to remember an opponent because I had to guard them. Yeah. And each possession, I'm like, okay, I got to guard this guy. So I instantly thought of Doug Cook because, I mean, I think he gave me 25, 30 points in a church league one time. Wow. Yeah, he he, he lit it up, man. 6'2", little guard, crafty, a little older than me. but. So there, there it is, Michael. I asked the question. Cooper, I asked the question for you. Apparently, you're not the best player he's played with anymore in the church league. So. I'm 35 now, man. I'm, yeah. my, 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 my brain isn't what it used to be. I, I It's easier for me to think of opponents, but I'm pretty sure. Golly, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to. We're, me and him are going to have to talk. He's going to yeah. have to refresh my memory and tell me he threw me out of you. So, again, plug the. Bring, tell me again what, what stuff you're, you're working on now. So right now i got some YouTube videos out. If you look up Bryant Northern Elite Training, there's some tutorials on YouTube um, where I'm doing some videos with my son. There's about six videos on there, and those, those are going to uh, increase. We're going to do more. And I'm also doing individual training and small group training. So um, if you contact me on Facebook or you can uh, text me or call me, 812-557-4370. It's a lot of elite training drills, two-ball dribbling, resistance band, uh, medicine balls, plyometric boxes. I have my own equipment. I have my own gym. I go five days a week. Um, during the summer, I do older age groups. But throughout the year, I go year-round with the younger age groups. So you can contact me. If you have a kid that's about fourth grade to sixth grade boy or girl I can work with them and then when I'm doing the older groups I go all the way from college guys to middle school guys as well so so what I'll do then is again you know a lot more people than I do but the more that I can get it out for you I'll put all that info on my page and put it out and share it on my actual Facebook page and on my podcast page I appreciate and, that and uh, if you have a card or something I'll be you know I'll take a picture of that put it on there uh, anything I can do to help you out man because this is this like I told you, man. This is big for me for you to come on here, and uh, I thank you again, man. And this this is awesome, man. I got some good stories. I feel like yeah, man, we're gonna do it again soon, man. I appreciate sure, you for sure, man. This is this when I got this one. I mean, this was this was a big time one for me because it's like, man, it's Brian Northern, man. It's so many memories of watching him play back in the day. I don't know. We have to watch some of those tapes. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold you up today. I'm gonna watch some of those old tapes you got. I got some stuff to show you. We'll take so, a look. Uh, guys, this was. 
this was a great episode. I feel like we went went pretty long actually, but keep liking, keep sharing everything. I'm gonna keep pumping these out. I got some big guests. I'm uh, pretty close to uh, getting Coach Crum, I, I believe, to uh, come on the podcast also. So that one should be in the next couple of weeks. I got a couple other big guests, but like I said, keep liking, keep sharing, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode.